And uh, so we want to go ahead and finish up our Vision 2016 uh, with today's talk and let you know that uh, for some of you that maybe haven't been involved uh, over these last couple of weeks, first week, we kind of just share with you all what went on in 2015 was a great year, increase in attendance, souls saved, people baptized, just teams working, everybody giving and sharing, and it's been wonderful. And then last week, we shared with you about culture. Boy, isn't culture amazing how uh, you can do something really right in a wrong culture and it fail, but yeah, you can make a lot of mistakes in a good culture and you get success. And so today, I want to share with you about values, core values, because, you know, everybody has core values in their life. They really do. The, what we live by, sometimes what we say we believe or what we uh, value doesn't always work out in the way we act or what we do. And so we want to kind of straighten that out. Uh, we all live by values. Every church has values. And, and there are these, these essential, non-negotiable values that every church uh, adheres to. I mean, we value God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, we value people and we love people because God values people. Uh, all lives matter to God. Every life matters to God. And, and uh, then we value the Bible because we believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God and that it's the final authority in everybody's life. We hold to it. I know that sounds old-fashioned, but hey, guess what? We believe the Bible is God's holy word inspired by him. We value holiness. We value prayer. Now, these are all things that we all, you know, adhere to. Water baptism, spirit baptism, you know, the gifts of the spirit, the, the fruit of the spirit. We, 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 we value paying of tithes and giving of offerings. That's, that's part of us just inherit from God. It's strong. And I, I believe most churches adhere to this. But today I kind of want to just zero in on Northwood for you, on our five core values, and, and then help you to see that if you'll incorporate these into your personal life, you'll end up with a better life. You'll be more pleasing to each other, to other people, and to your God. And so 1989, when God sent us to Gulfport, Mississippi, it's over 26 years ago, he sent me with two words which make up our first two values I'm going to share with you. At one time, we had certain values that we were, as a staff, we were saying, yeah, that's us, that's us. But finally, one day, you know, we sat in a staff meeting. I said, you know what? I'm not sure that these values really describe us or what we really are like. And so we just kind of put those on the side. And then we said, now, what do we really look like? I mean, what are we already doing? What are we already are? And then from there, we're going to see that uh, these things are what we value. So the first two, uh, you know, came from God. He said, I want you to go to Gulfport, and this is what I want you to begin. And so the first word was unity. And unity, uh, we kind of put a definition to it right here for you. And that is unity says we passionately stand together as one while, my, while we maintain unique diversity as individuals. We are individuals. We all have our individual personalities, and no one here wants to make you somebody you're not. We do want to help make you better for God and for yourself, but we are who we are, and so it's not a matter of conforming people to a certain thing, you know, wow, you got to look this way, talk this way, walk this way, you know, everybody's got to have, you know, wear the same clothes and same, carry the same identical Bible, and boy, if you don't do that, then you're out of unity. That's not really what it is. Unity is simple coming together. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 says this, the Apostle Paul said, I appeal to you Dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. One mind in thought and purpose. No divisions in the church. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility, here's the responsibility of the leadership, is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of, our, of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete statue of Christ. So there's a process there of us being unified. John chapter 17, Jesus, when he was praying, he said, I am in them and you are in me, Father. He said, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. And then in Psalm 133, gives us the basis and the results of unity. He said, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountain of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So these verses wrap up the idea that there should be unity not only in the church, but in our own personal life, and especially in our families. A unified force. The, the God, God will put his blessings on that which is unified. He does it. We see it all through scripture. He, he blesses a place where there's one vision, where uh, there's a united set of values, uh, where everyone is on the same page, and, and where we all pressing together to the same mark for the common good of advancing the kingdom of God. It's, it's what we are here for. It's not just coming to church. Hello, folks. It ain't just coming to church. It's much more than that. There's a, there's a reason behind everything. And we've got to be unified as the church of Jesus Christ. I, I appreciate Northwood because I, I believe we really are moving in this. Uh, and I believe God is blessing us in here. No, notice this. Uh, when people agree together, watch what God does. Where, where, where everyone has the heart of Jesus for the church and those far from God. God wants to bless that. If we have a heart for his church and a heart for people who are far from God, God is in that thing. You see, yeah, I can use that. Also, where everyone works to see the Great Commission fulfilled. Where there's a thrust to reach people for Jesus. Uh, where everyone unites to create an environment where the power of God can move upon people. So, so very important that there is an environment where people can find Christ. I mean, this is the most important. See, heretofore, people have thought that church is just for the believers, that we come and get fed. And that's true. But there's so much more to it. We shared with you last week about culture. The reason the culture is so wide open is because the arms of Jesus are wide open and he wants to receive everyone. I love that song we just sang. I called his name. He turned my way. You know, he heard. Do you know what that's about? That, that's, that's scripture that talks about the blind men who shouted out to Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon us. And he turned and he said, bring them over here. And then he healed them of their blindness. I shouted his name and he turned my way. Every person that shouts the name of Jesus, he turns their way. 
And we are to shout the name of Jesus and we're to help people hear his voice so that when he turns to them, they receive him. It's why we live here. An another thing is that where everyone guards against offending and being offended. You know, there's so much offense in the church nowadays. I, I kind of wonder why. You know, when I was in the world, we didn't have that much offense. When we were away from Christ with, with a bunch of Christless people, we all just hanging out. Man, we never got offended about anything, you know. You know, you could slap me. I say, hey, dude, what's up with that? You know, you know, you could say something better. Well, you crazy, dude. I, that ain't got nothing to do with me. You know, now in the church, I mean, I've been offended. My heart has been crushed. You know what I say to that? Man up or lady up. Amen. Just let's just rise up and get a little bit strength within us and all that security. Flush it and say, you know what? I'm going to say, I'm going to give you the, the equation that will keep offense to a very minimum in a church or in a family. You ready? If every one of you in this room, all of us, if we will do everything in our power not to offend someone, follow me now. In other words, I'm going to just my best not to offend you. And if everyone in this room will do their best not to be offended, we got like this two-fronted thing. Even if you offend me, I'm working hard not to be offended, so I'm not going to be offended. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and, and in that is this powerful unity that God says, you know what? I can work in this because we ain't got time for this. We ain't got time for all this offense and having to run and fix you and fix this person. You know, you know come to, I got to talk to the pastor because somebody said something about me. We're moving away from that. We got a job to do. Let's get busy with the job of seeing people come to Christ. And guess what? Ain't got all that stuff going on, all this internal strife. And we unify around essential things, not the non-essential things. Now, we're going to unify around the blood of Jesus, the word of God. Christ, you know, Jesus is, comes from virgin birth. We're going to unify around a literal heaven, a literal hell. We're going to unify around these major things. But we're surely not going to get in a fuss over stuff that don't matter. You know, it just doesn't matter, really. Uh, all these things that we see people, you know, you know, on Facebook, I never see people fussing about the essentials. I see them fussing about the non-essentials. How long your hair is supposed to be? I don't think God cares. You know why I know God doesn't care how long your hair is? Because some people ain't got no hair. <laughs> and then some people got a lot of hair. You, you know what I'm talking about? And, and so, you know, man, you're holy if your hair, uh, so where did that, what is that? Your clothes, you know, the, the, what the, say, let's get off the non-essentials and let it fly and let's embrace these essentials strongly and see people saved. The second word that God sent to me to Northwood was radical. And radical is a radical word. Radical is a word that some people say, radical, radical, you know. But radical, this is our definition. We unapologetically progress in our methods and approach to how we do church in order to reach people. And I might add, reach people for Jesus. So, so just because, you, you know, something was done one way for a long time doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be done that way always. Jesus is our agent of change. Jesus came on the scene and look, he jumped up in some people's stuff. There were this group of people called Pharisees and they were religious leaders. And God had given the pattern of what he wanted done in the church, you know, in, 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 in the Jewish people's lives. 
But the, the Pharisees kept adding to it, adding. We've got this wonderful talent of adding to things. And they started adding and adding. Just this morning in our one-year Bible, a man with a withered hand was with Jesus in the synagogue. And, and the Pharisees were watching Jesus to see whether or not he was going to heal the man's hand on the Sabbath day. Because they said, you can't work on the Sabbath day. And Jesus went to me and said, hey, I'm getting ready to change some things here. If you had a sheep that fell in a well on the Sabbath, would you take him out? And he didn't like that, you know, huh? So he said, hey, look, stretch your hand out of there. Come on. And he stretched his hand out and he was healed. He came on the scene and he said, the way you've been doing things is not the way we're going to continue to do them. He said in Mark chapter one, he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The word repent simply means to change the way you think, to turn around from what you're doing. He said, you're going to have to change the way you think in order to receive this gospel. Let me tell you something, folks. You have to change if you receive the gospel. You have to see a life that is radically transformed in order to Adapt yourself to this gospel. Jesus comes into every life and he says, repent. Change the way you think about things. Let's do something different. He said, you know what? You were taught an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I'm changing that and telling you that if a man hits you on your right cheek, you turn your other cheek also. He said, you've been taught that you should, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I'm telling you that I want you to love your enemy and pray for those who are abusing you. He brings a whole nother thing on the scene, a whole nother change. He changes it from the head to the heart. You once knew this, but now you want to do this. From the head to the heart, which is the difference between re religion and relationship. When it moves from the head of just knowing something to actually experiencing the life of Christ, there's really no salvation that takes place. There's a radical change. You see, culture has changed. If you've been around for, for more than 40 years, you know that culture has dramatically changed in the last 30 years. Things are not done the same way. We're dealing with things now that 30, 35 years ago was not even on the map. Your kids are dealing with things now that you as adults have never even had to talk about. And so there has to be a change in how we live our life in the culture. But there also has to be a change in how we present the gospel to people. The same old methodology doesn't work anymore. If we were doing things the same way that we were doing it 35 years ago, most of you probably wouldn't come to church. Now, God hasn't changed. The word hasn't changed. Jesus is the same. The blood of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, none of the, all those essentials have not changed. But how we do church must change in order to reach generation after generation. And so someone once said change is the only constant in life. And really, 66% of all the people in America are of a personality who don't like change. And the older you get, the harder it is to change. Like everybody over the age of 45 here, you need to get with the program and realize that things are going to change. They're not remaining the same, and you got to get with it. Amen? Amen. You got to be able to change. You got to stay youthful in your ability to adapt to your culture. Change is good. If you don't change, you stagnate. 
If you don't change, you stagnate, you crystallize, and you're passed by. The kingdom of God is evolving. Things are changing, and we want to make sure that we are efficient and that we are effective. And let me add that structure is not sacred. God spoke that to me about 13 years ago. He said, man, I want you to be efficient. I want you to be effective. And structure is not sacred. We think structure is sacred. But let me tell you something. There are many ways to do church. And there are new ways to do church that we haven't even thought about yet. And so you know what I'm at? I'm, a, I'm just going to be, hey, change me, Lord. Hey, help me adapt to my surroundings. Let me be a type leader who doesn't shun change and become a crystallized individual. But let me adapt to the new change and move forward. It's wonderful. Unity, radical. J Jesus sent me to Gulfport. I didn't know why, but after about two years here, I realized how important unity was. What he was saying was no politics in the church, no power struggles in the church. None of that. None of those. None. It needs to be a safe place. And he said, radical, Van, I want you to be different. We have been. He has proven that those two values have built this church where it is. The third value is excellent. Excellence, and the definition we put with it is we relentlessly pursue excellence by maximizing the resources that God has given us. I've always said this, that excellence is doing the very best you can with what you have. Excellence comes from the Holy Spirit. You know, Daniel, if you want to read about a man whose life was excellent, if you want an example of, of how to live, Look at Daniel. In chapter 6, verse 3, it says, This Daniel distinguished himself above the generals and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to settling him over, over the whole realm. In other words, the king, the heathen king, saw in him an excellent spirit, saw excellence about him, and said, You know what? I can use that man. Excellent is such a wonderful quality. In Mark chapter 7, it talks about Jesus. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. Jesus does everything well. Man, you want to you study the life of an individual who was excellent. Study the life of Jesus. He knew when to speak, when not to speak. He knew when to stay and when to leave. His ministry was spot on. He always went to the very source of the problem rather than talking about the surrounding areas of the problem. He was excellent in everything that he did. It's an attribute of God, this thing of excellence. The Bible says, excellent is your name, O God. And we as the church and we as individual Christians, we are a reflection in society of Christ. Let me ask you something. Does your life reflect the character of Christ? That's a tough question, huh? Does it? Because if it doesn't, you want to go to work on excellence. I think we ought to be excellent in everything. I think we ought to be excellent in relationships. We ought to go to work on it. I think we ought to be excellent in those things that God has given us. You may or may not have the prettiest house on the block, but it should be the cleanest house on the block. You understand? Your shoes, look, there were times where I had holes in the bottom of my shoes, but the top of my shoes were shined. Your car might not be the latest model and the greatest thing. You understand what I'm talking about? But it ought to be clean. You ought not have seven feet of... McDonald's bags in the back seat. 
If you have that, I'm going to release you right now to go clean your car. <laughs> Excellence. It shows gratefulness. Excellence shows good stewardship. And Northwood, we seek to do everything with excellence, doing the very best you can with what you have. The music that is played up here and the worship, the atmosphere, is the very best that we can do with what we have. Our facilities are as clean as we can make them. We maintain them as best we can with the resources we have. When we preach, we preach the very best we can. In other words, you've got to listen to the best we have. That's excellence. Everyone who, who serves, they serve with the best that they can. It's not always perfect. Can I confess to you, I'm preaching on excellence in the first service, and my scriptures are not coming up on the, on the, on the screen. And you know why my scriptures were not coming up on the screen? Because I emailed the wrong message <laughs> to our media guys. Aaron, sorry about that, bro. <laughs> excellence is not perfection. Excellence is doing the very best you can. Boy, in the Old Testament, the tabernacle in the wilderness, just study it. It was excellent. The temple, my goodness, everything overlaid with precious gold. Just wonderful. It's essential that we project excellence to the people, especially the people who are coming to Christ. I'm not trying to impress, we are not trying to impress religious folk. But we want to make sure that we represent our God properly, especially to the people who are far from God. When they see us, they need to see Jesus. The way we do church may change. You need to be ready for that change. We need to live. I live my life ready for change because I never know what's going to happen in my life. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. My life may dramatically change, and I need to be positioned for that. Some of you don't have any kids right now. Next year at this time, you're going to have a little baby. You need to be ready for change. Big change. Massive change. Awesome change. Hilarious change. Excellence. It reflects Jesus. The fourth core value that we hold to so dearly is faithfulness. Faithfulness we say it this way, we are dedicated wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly, wholeheartedly to a lifestyle of consistent faithfulness, not sporadic faithfulness, not I commit for a while, then I don't commit, then I commit, then I don't commit, or are we committed to this vision for a while? No, no, we're not committed, we're going to commit to this over here. No, it's a lifestyle of consistent faithfulness. In the book of Galatians chapter 5, it lists the fruit of the Spirit, and one of the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. We need faithfulness in every area of our life. Uh, Timothy uh, was told by Paul, he, he said, if we are unfaithful, he, the Holy Spirit, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. So God's got this thing about being faithful, man. You call upon me, I'll answer. You seek me with all of your heart, you'll find me. Something about you asking, you shall receive. Seeking, you shall find. Knocking, it shall be open to you. I'm going to be faithful. Jesus was faithful from birth to death. He was faithful with his mission completely. Not, can you imagine what it would have been like if Jesus would have been faithful until he was like, you know, 32 and a half and then said, I'm out. Eject me out of this place. 
Too weird. I'm coming back to the throne. Aren't you glad that he was faithful straight through to everything? See, anybody can do anything for a short, short period of time. It takes faithful people to press in and do something for a very long time. Studies continue to show that a lot of churches are in decline, people-wise. And really, it all goes to the lack of commitment and faithfulness. That's why marriages are in trouble. Commitment, failing. Faithfulness, failing. That's why they fail. Centered in selfishness and immaturity. I think it's a direct indictment against our personal relationship with God when we see that we're not faithful in our life. I think that the Lord wants us to stand tall, be strong, press through, and commit completely. I just believe that that's, I just think that that's the way of God. This loosey-goosey, well, I'm here, I'm there, and I'm, I'm all over the place, whatever. I, value, when we look at how we spend our time and how we spend our money, that equals our personal energy. That shows what we value in our life. If I say I value my family, but I'm never with them, then I really don't value them. If I say I value my church, but I'm not involved and I'm not a part, I don't give, I don't share, I don't, I don't live in, then I'm not, that's not really a value. It's just a little side thing. What I value, I give my time and my money to. So check your time, check your money. That will show you what you value. Okay? Faithfulness. Faithfulness begins with the Holy Spirit. It flows through everybody. We, should, we, we want to be. We want to embrace a faithfulness on the job. In other words, your boss should look down the, the, the list of employees and when your name comes across, he should light up and say, that's a good man. That's a faithful man. That man comes to work every day. That man works every day. He puts in a solid, honest day's work. He is faithful. When your wife or your, your husband looks at the names of people and looks around in society and church, in the family, and when they come to you, you should light up and say, that's a faithful man. That is a faithful woman. My spouse is faithful. When your pastor looks around the church, he should be able to say, that is a faithful man. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Faithfulness equals consistency. Two weeks ago, I shared about our need in our zero to four-year-old NC kids, our nursery. And I just shared that we needed help there. And because we do need help there. As a matter of fact, we still need help there. So this is what I'm going to do. Talking about faithfulness. At the end of this service, there's a table right in the rear of our auditorium. And there's, there's, there's going to be some ladies there. And they're going to take your name because you're going to sign up to help care for our zero to four-year-olds. Ladies, no men. Because why? We need faithful people to take care of our children while we are in the church service. Go ahead and smile at me. Come on. Give me a little smile. Hey, if you're not serving, just give me a little smile anyway. Just just. <laughs> Hey, come on, fake it. Fake your smile. Just, just fake it. Just, yeah, I'm smiling, but I ain't helping. I, you know. But you know, it makes me feel better, like I'm connecting with you. You know what I'm talking about? Faithfulness. One lady in our church, she's over 80 years old. 
She was in the first service. And she went to the table to sign up. And I thank God that the person there had enough wisdom to say. And she called her name. And she said this. She said, you've paid your dues. You've been in the church 40 years serving. So I guess I could say this. If you want to, after you serve for 40 years, take a little sabbatical. <laughs> take a little break, you know what I mean? But guess what? We're making babies. And we need somebody to care for them. So that's your table back there. I'm believing for anywhere from 15 to 45 people. It's a widespread. I want to get the victory. Look, it's a need. Jesus said, if you don't ask, you don't get it. So we're asking. And we'll tell you. And this time we mean it. <laughs> Faithfulness. Let me ask you something. You who are married, you who are single looking to be married. Would you rather have a faithful spouse or an unfaithful spouse? Faithful. Jesus is looking for a faithful church, his bride, without spot or wrinkle. Faithfulness. And then the fifth, the fifth, and this is, this is big, is generational. It's a core value that we possess. It says we are intentionally building, we're building and preparing for the success of future generations. That's what we're doing. You see, there is going to be a future. Now, if Jesus comes back this afternoon at two, forget everything I said, we're going to be with Jesus. <laughs> but if he doesn't, there's a future. There's a future to your family, there's a future to our government, there's a future to this world, and there's a future to this church. And so we are intentionally building. We're not just letting things happen for the future of this church. We're intentionally raising up the next generation. We're intentionally raising up people to serve. We're intentionally doing things. You know, in Psalm 145, the Bible says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And, and your domain endures throughout all generations. The kingdom of God. In Ephesians 3 the Holy Spirit is telling us glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. So we're building on this thing. You know, when I got saved, I got saved and two years later the Lord called me to preach. That's right. He just, he just spoke to me and confirmed in my heart, confirmed by many, many witnesses. And, and, and then I, uh, two years later I was on staff at our local church, spent nine and a half years in that church, four and a half on staff, and then came here and been here over 26 years. But God put people in my life of another generation. Pastor Ed Bledsoe, my pastor, he's 84 years old now. Pastor Jim Clark, who's now with Jesus. Pastor Rod Aguilard, who's nearly 80 years old now. Brother Roy Stocksdale, who is 96 years old now. He put all those people in my life to prepare me for when they were finished. I could do what I'm doing. It's tremendous. I thank God for that. Nobody can ever be successful by themselves. There's no self-made men anywhere. We all owe it to somebody else who helped us. I'm doing the same thing here at Northwood. I believe in what we call cathedral thinking. Cathedral thinking is simply this. This is where it comes from. In the 1500s and up in that area of time, the great cathedrals in England and in Europe 
Have you ever thought about how do you build these giant edifices without any kind of equipment, without any steel, all wood? Well, this is how they did it. They knew they wanted to build it, so they had to plant trees. So a generation planted and nurtured trees, a forest, and grew those things up. How many of you know it takes a long time to grow a tree 40 feet tall? And grew those, a whole generation, that's all they did. Their part of building the cathedral was planting and growing trees. And then another generation came through there and harvested the trees manually, making boards and all that was necessary to make everything fit and work. And that probably took a generation. Generations kind of merged together. And then someone had to start building this. Of course, there was planning, there was drawings, there were the minds that could construct it. And finally, they were built and they held services there. The thing is, is that the people who, who, who grew the trees had long been dead. Never had a chance to experience a church service, to sit on a bench here preaching. Those that built it, many of them no longer were alive. And even some who did no building at all sat and listened to the word of God. That's generational. That's cathedral thinking. That's what we are in. That's what this church is all about. Not only generationally within the congregation, having a mother and a father and a son and a daughter and a grandson and a granddaughter and even great grandkids, that is the mark of a successful church where people stay in there and families and relationships are formed. But it also has to do with the leadership of the church. If the leadership is not generational, sooner or later the church will run into a major stumbling block. And so with that, I have been working diligently for several years, preparing personnel to move this church forward. You see, Pastor Rowe, who was here before me for 15 years, built and worked and then left and I came. And I have built for over 26 years. And the day is coming that I will no longer be the head builder. But there will be other men, another man who will take this church. I like to say it this way. I will lead this church no more than four years, not less than three years. And I have prepared a man who will take this church. And it gets real quiet. And, and you know why it gets quiet? Because we're so resistant to change. And we are so personality driven. Let, let, me, let, me, let me tell you. The team. You see, there is a lead pastor. I'm the lead pastor of Northwood. However, a lead pastor, if he's wise, has a team working with him. No man should lead all by himself. There is a team here. And within that team are capable and competent men who you will be seeing all through this year. The team. You will, you will experience the preaching styles of, of six different men who are leaders in this church, who are on my staff. And you will enjoy it. Because... If you only want to listen to one person, you are personality driven rather than prince driven. 
And Jesus is the prince of all princes. Did you know that the majority of churches, when the senior man goes through a secession process and hands it off, that the attendance drops? That people leave the church because their favorite preacher is no longer in the pulpit every Sunday. And you know what I say to that? And I say this respectfully. It stinks. It's so immature. It's so humanistic. It's so carnal. You see, the Word of God is what matters. And we should submit, and I always have, submit to whoever is bringing a word from God for us. Am I making sense to you? I'm not just leaving yet, okay? I still got a little fire left in the belly, a little bit fuel in the tank, okay? But I'm just telling you that we're a generational church. And if we don't talk about things like this, we won't be prepared. And I will say this. When the next generation takes this thing, it's going to a whole new level. Amen? Isn't that what you want to do? Go to a whole new level? Come on, look at me. Isn't that what you want to do? Go to a whole new level and say, Jesus, come on. Isn't that what you want to do? You who have kids and then now you have grandkids. You who have kids, don't you want your kids to do better than you did? I mean, it, 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 that's just a natural desire. And so I'm telling you that we're generational and that I can't wait. I can't wait. It's just wonderful. You see, I have given myself to change. I have worked it out and I am ready. And I am excited about what God will do. Amen? How many of you can receive that? Five core values. What are they? Let's go. Unity. Radical. Come on. Excellence. Faithfulness. Generational. Five great values that describe Northwood Church. But I think also describes the kingdom of God. Let's bow our heads together right now. I want you to just get along with God right there where you are. Just, come on, just kind of shut out everything else. You know, when we talk about generational, we talk, I think about Jesus, how he was so set on the next generation. He prepared 12 men, one failed, 11 pressed through, they replaced him later. 12 men to take this wonderful gospel throughout the land. When Jesus was speaking, he said, you know, I've got this generation of sheep. He said, but there's... Other sheep that are going to come into this sheepfold. He told the disciples, he said, you know, he was praying. He said, Father, I pray for these that are with me, but I also pray for those who will believe in me because of the words that these men speak. He was just so generational. See, he wants his kingdom to come. And he wants to gather as many people into the kingdom of God as possible. He wants every person in this room loving him and serving him. He came to seek and save that which is lost. He came as the great physician to heal all the brokenhearted, to set straight people's paths, to change their mind, to heal their brains, to help them to think clearly and properly. And he's come to this place today to save every person that's far from him. You're in this room right now. God is drawing you to him. You may not understand it all. I know I didn't. 
But God is always drawing people to himself. And he will till the final moment of the final day. So if you're in this room right now and you're not assured of your eternal salvation, if you're just not sure of a relationship with Jesus, you just, man, you're in limbo. You're like, I don't know. I, I want to, you know, why don't you just go ahead and surrender to him? Look, the night I gave my heart to Jesus, I didn't know anything except I was lost and undone and needed help from somebody a lot bigger than just me. If that's you, I want to pray for you right where you are. And I believe that as we agree together, Jesus will answer this prayer. He has never turned down a person who was honest with him, who opened up their heart and surrendered to him. So if you're in this room right now while every head is bowed, you say, Pastor, that's me. I want a relationship with Jesus. I want to serve him. I want you to just put your hand up and put it right back down. Just shoot it up. Come on now. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on, that's right. It's so important. This is such a big deal. This is not just, you're not playing a game. You're not joining a club. You're coming into a relationship with the God of the universe who created you, who loves you, and who now wants to take your life and make something big out of it. Anybody else, if you haven't raised your hand, just shoot it up, put it right back in. Just say, just me, Pastor, thank you. Right where you are, right there. I want you to repeat these words after me. I'm going to help you pray, but God is listening to you. And he's getting ready to put some real value on you. The blood of Jesus is the price that was paid for your value. Just say these words. Say, Father in heaven, forgive me of my sin. Come and change me. I believe that Jesus died for me. And I believe he rose again from the grave. I confess that with my mouth. And I thank you, Lord, that your love will cover my sins. That I will be forgiven. That I will be a new creation in Christ. And that my life will change from this day forward. In Jesus' name, I thank you, Father. Amen and amen and amen. Come on, Northwood. We're going to thank the Lord again for touching people. Get these five values in your life and be blessed. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv connect and fill out the online information card, our lead pastor, Van DeCote, wants to send you a letter that tells you some more steps to take that'll help you maintain your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you live in one of these areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and locations. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give or simply text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.